Good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning to the West Campus. Good morning to Hive. Good morning to uh, Converge, those worshiping in Granbury, South Campus, those online. Uh, we love that you're here. We love that you're worshiping. Hope you brought your Bibles. Grab them. You're going to need them. We're going to be jumping through a few uh, marquee verses this morning that are pretty big, and we're going to be talking really the next three weeks about be, make, and reach as we discuss what a spirit-filled church looks like, what the marks of a spirit-filled church looks like. And if you've been around us uh, for, for the last couple of years, really, you've heard this rhetoric, be, make, and reach. Right? And more than just Christ Chapel rhetoric, that really is a call we see of what the Christian life looks like. Right? It's not trendy language we're using for a season. Uh, this is a timeless command that answers the question for us, how then should we live? Um, being, making, and reaching. Being a disciple, making disciples, and reaching those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus is a part of the design of what it means to be a, a follower of Christ, what it means to be in Christ. And so a healthy and a flourishing disciple is one who is doing those things. A spirit-filled disciple is one who is doing those things. And a spirit-filled church is a church that is filled with spirit-filled people. That's what makes it a spirit-filled church. There's nothing powerful about these walls, or if you're in another venue, those walls in those venues. Um, the power is not on the walls. Cody referenced that last week in the sermon. The, the power is really in God's spirit, illuminating God's word and turning this from a textbook of information to a living and active word of God that's transforming our hearts and stirring our affections and bringing conviction and shaping our identities into who he calls us to be. And that is what's at stake here. That's what we're about. That is what we'll spend the next three weeks really zooming in to, to figure out what does that really mean for us as not just Christ Chapelites, but people who say, I want more of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be obedient to what scripture says. Um, this week, we're going to zoom in on just the foundation of B. And so we're going to start with the foundation of B. Really the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And, and is that command really biblical and for everyone? I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. If, it's not, if, you're a, if you're a highlighter or an underliner in your Bible, and if it's not highlighted and underlined, I would recommend it. Get a flag and stake that verse. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he tells us, Therefore, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I think this is an incredibly helpful exhortation because of a couple of things in this one verse. Just this one verse, we see a few things. We see one, we're to live lives that reflect God. So when we ask the question, do we all really need to be disciples? Is that for everybody? We see right here, we are to reflect God, imitate God. The Greek word there is a noun, literally meaning one who emulates. Some translations will say follows. But so much more than just mimicking Jesus... Ephesians 5 qualifies that imitating with this identity statement as beloved children. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, yes, but not just as a mimicker. Right? Following as a child grows up with its father and grows to be like its father and, and, and learns and grows and grows to have their father's heart if it's a good father. You see, real discipleship should really 
begin from the inside and work out. It's not just an outward mimicking, it's an inside working out in character, in how we see the world, in how we have compassion, like Jesus has compassion, um, in how we, we have conviction and stand on truth the way Jesus has conviction and stands on truth. The disciple of Jesus is living a life that, that reflects Jesus, not because they're operating from a Christian to-do list, but because they have the heart of God. That's what a, a spirit-filled disciple is. That's what an imitator of God is because they're this beloved child. Let me illustrate it this way. In my experience, there are two types of house renovation, right? There is the, you're going to flip a house, um, you're going to do some renovation just enough to flip it um, to make the most amount of profit, which is nothing wrong with that, um, or you're going to really renovate it because you're going to put down roots and, and live deep and live comfortably here in this house, hopefully, for a long period of time. Those are the two kind of broad categories. Um, and I've seen both of them play out. I remember there was somebody next door to us um, who was selling their house. and It was kind of clearly a, a flip-type situation. And I remember in their garden, they put fake plants like in the front garden that they took pictures of that were posted on the website. It was these fake plants. And I just thought... It's going to be really obvious when some, I mean, you can tell they're plastic plants. Uh, you know, you, you, if you're doing a quick flip, you know, you might just, you know, spray paint the carpet if it's got stains, just paint it all one color. <laughs> Instead of like really doing good wood floors, you just get the cheapest wood laminate, your holes in the wall, you put posters over those, that kind of thing, right? You're covering up the outside, you want it to look that way, but a real renovation of a house, you're going to rip up tiles. I've got a buddy, Alan, who's, who's renovating a house right now, and he posts kind of the progress, these videos online, and I watch these three-minute videos of, you know, time lapses of him, like, putting in new flooring, and I just, and I get tired. I just watch the video, and I get exhausted, and I'm not even doing anything, because he cares about this home, and he's, and he's, and he's doing it right, and from the inside out, this home is being, this house is really being transformed into a home. The renovation that God is doing is that, but that, that's what that looks like. That's how that works. We should be imitators of God, not because we've become masters of the checklist, but from the inside out, we have our Father's heart and our life from the inside out is starting to be renovated to look more and more like our Father. That's what this looks like. So I want to give you two truths this morning that help shape really more specifically what that looks like, right? And then two traps we often fall into. The first truth is this. Back in January, um, back in January, Pastor Cody used Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Flip there. Have that verse in front of you. Underline it. Put a stake in the ground. Matthew 22, verse 37. And he and used it to really answer the question, am I being a disciple of Jesus? Am I, am I really doing it? As I diagnose myself and I hold up the mirror of scripture to say, am I really being a disciple? What does that mean? We look to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with your mind? Jesus says this as an answer to the Pharisees who, by the way, remember, they were masters at mimicking the law of God. I mean, they had it down, imitating, imitators of God's law. And they're asking the question, what is the greatest commandment in Scripture? And Jesus says, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is consistent throughout these Scriptures. The truth. Being a disciple is about loving Jesus. 
being a disciple of Jesus is going to have to be about loving Jesus. Right? I won't get into in this sermon here, but there is plenty to say about the scope of our love, even from, from this uh, verse. Right, The scope of being someone who loves with our heart and our soul and our mind, even, even how Jesus pulls this out of Deuteronomy 6, even how Mark's gospel in chapter 12 uh, includes the word loves him with our strength. There's, there's lots to say about that, but the well-roundedness of a call to love Jesus is important. But I think the harder part of the command to love is the love part, right? It's the love part. Where do I have the button to push to just say, okay, I want to be a disciple. Let me push the button so that I can love him now. How do I, how do, I do that? How do I, how do I increase that love? Let's look for a second at what that word love means in context. It's, the, it's from the Greek root word agape, which we've talked about recently. Um, the same root word for love that Paul uses when he articulates his testimony in Galatians 2.20. When, when Paul functionally in one verse kind of articulates what's happened in his heart and his life in light of the gospel and saying his life is now committed to Christ, it's no longer he who lives, it's Christ who lives within him, and then the life which he now lives, he lives in faith in the one who loved there, that agape loved him and gave himself up for him. Being a disciple, we try to understand that love concept, being a disciple who loves is birthed with a commitment. And so if, if you say, well, I want to grow in my love, we have to first realize, well, is it birthed out of a commitment, right? Having eyes to see how God loved us first and responding to that, how he met us with grace and responding to that with, with commitment, with faithfulness, with surrender. Love is all in. Right? Love is an all-in thing. It's choosing him over feelings. It's choosing to follow Jesus forever, not just seasonally, when it's convenient. It's a, a commitment as a disciple, acknowledging that our love starts. Our love starts with a, yes, I am yours. My life is not my own. Commitment there. Is there commitment? The agape love there is also going to result in life change. There's going to be commitment every time that we see agape love, but there's also going to be life change that should be happening. Right? Being a disciple who loves Jesus, that should produce action. Right? The whole year we've been studying the book of Acts. Right? This year we've, we've been in Acts. We will continue to be in Acts this year. And the book of Acts is uh, an incredible book where we see the acts of the Holy Spirit building the church, filling his people, using his people, the, the, the acts of the disciples, moving the people of God um, to establish their faith, their hope, their love, their agape love in Jesus. And it's this one big action story. Because of the love that they have experienced for God. I mean, these disciples radically have their lives changed. I mean, they're, they're, they have peace in situations that they have no business having peace in. They have joy in circumstances that they don't. They have, they have these actions that come out of a place that are completely contrary to their past and even their personalities. But this love that is working through them has produced radical life change. Every time we see that kind of love, is there life change attached to it in, in some way or in some season. But also, the last little qualifier of love is that it has to be sustained by a personal relationship. Right? There has to be a personal relationship with, with this kind of love. And love implies a personal relationship, right? 
We wouldn't, we wouldn't say you, you love somebody and not have some sort of personal relationship with them, uh, with the exception of tacos. I love tacos. Well, I do have a personal relationship with them, I guess. We'll get to that later. That'll be another sermon. But you understand the idea here. The, the, the love for Jesus has to be personal, right? The way your grandmother so loved Jesus is amazing. But, but that doesn't move you into a personal relationship. It doesn't sustain you as a disciple. The way your family or the way your spouse or the way your friends or the small group or the community you're a part of that loves Jesus, that doesn't sustain you as a disciple, as being a disciple of Jesus. The way you used to love Jesus when you were younger and have drifted, that will still leave you dry as we drift from that personal relationship with Jesus to be to be a disciple, loving Jesus that way, it's got to be a personal, ongoing relationship. Where are you at with that? Between you and Jesus, where are you at this morning? Have you committed your life to him? Have you committed your life to him? Right? Or, or is he just a category of it? And maybe a big category of it. And maybe a respectable category of it. But have you committed your life or is he, a, is he a slice of pie when you need him? Not a love that says, I am all in on Jesus. Are you seeing life change? Have you seen life change? A, a love for Jesus that's changing behaviors and changing thought patterns that takes the form of an ongoing relationship or just a prayer you prayed one time prayer you prayed one time and, and now you live however you want without love steering your life. A, a love for Jesus specifically steering your life. If you feel like right now, if you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, if, if you're here and you're listening to this and you think, I don't know if I've ever really gone all in. I don't know if I really have this ongoing personal relationship driven by love. I don't I don't know that there's real life change in my life that, that I can see fruit from that life change. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, I'm not. But maybe the Holy Spirit is. And maybe the Spirit of God is poking at your heart this morning because he loves you, because he loves you first, because the Holy Spirit doesn't need to wait for you to love before he loves. He loved us first. Poking at your heart, saying, I have something more. Don't ignore that today. Don't ignore that poking today. This relationship has been initiated by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of our king 2,000 years ago. So that we, not because of our works, not because of our righteousness, those who put their faith, surrender all into Jesus, might have a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what's at stake. That should give all of us a lot of comfort too. A lot of us a comfort because we're all called, every one of us, called to prioritize being a disciple of Jesus. So here's a trap that we often fall into. Certainly I, I can often fall into this in our heads and in our hearts. Um, followers of Jesus treating discipleship like a, like a program for us rather than a relationship with us. A trap we fall into is discipleship becoming a program for us rather than a relationship 
with us and the God of the universe. Right? We've established to be a disciple is going to require a love for Jesus. Right? This love of Jesus flows from a relationship with him, me and him. So this trap is oftentimes that we've traded being a disciple for being discipled. And that's really subtle. And that's really sneaky. But, but let me show you how dangerous that can be. Being discipled can easily become simply a program, right? It can be a program. We lose sight of the relationship, right? And and programs are for customers and they're for clients. Events are for participants, right? They're not evil things. They're good things. They're not bad things. But something, they're ultimately something that someone else will do for me or they will do to me. That's what programs are, are for so that I can get the desired result. That's what a program would do. This church has a ton of great, great programs, legitimately. Great resources, great staff. Those can be and should be, really should be tools in you being a disciple. But they are not the source of your relationship for discipleship. Let me give you an example. On the back of your sermon notes, every week there's a column on the right-hand side that lists out some Every one of those things, unbelievable opportunities for incredible life change and tools and resources. I mean, the the first one, for for women, this Saturday at this campus in the Oak Room from 10 to 2, women will gather and talk about suffering and pain through the lens of Jesus Christ. They'll eat lunch together, they'll, they'll gather, they will be encouraged, they'll be challenged, they'll fellowship together. If you are a woman on any of these campuses, every woman is invited to come and participate in that. That'll be a great thing. It'll be a good, uh, shaping thing. Right? If you utilize that properly, that valuable tool, you can grow in being a disciple. It will sharpen you. But at the end of the day, you are in a relationship being molded by Jesus. And the event and the program and the pastor and the sermon and the podcast and the church service is not the primary ownership of your discipleship. You are the primary owner of your discipleship. You are the primary owner of you being a disciple. And so let's say at lunch today, you you come, you become a little introspective, and you come to the conclusion that you're not satisfied exactly with, with. who you are as a disciple of Jesus. That is a great step. God-given conviction, right? That's pretty much every day of my life. Not in a hang my head down low and sulk, but, but as, as you come to that conclusion, you know, I, don't, I, I think I've got room to grow in being a disciple. So let's say at lunch, you take that step. That's a good step. But let's say your second step is blaming someone or something else for that. You just stepped into this trap. Right? Because being discipled can become a way to say someone else is responsible. They're not doing it. I need them to do that. I'm not where I want to be. And that's someone else or this sermon or that ministry or this parachurch or this book. They're not working to do the thing that I want them to do rather than it being inside out. Being a disciple, though, says, says I'm in a relationship with Jesus and I'm responsible for my growth. A disciple is A disciple is who you are, not just what you're being trained in. A disciple is who we are, not just what we're being trained in. And I walk with a lot of adults and friends 
who spend their adult life bouncing, well-intentioned, but bouncing from church to church, ministry to ministry, resource, event, conference to conference, subconsciously as a consumer or a client stuck in this trap, wanting to be fed, and then eventually arriving at the conclusion, I'm not being fed here. And then bouncing to the next ministry that ultimately isn't designed to be able to do that either. And now look, if God's word isn't being proclaimed, run. Right? Like, if God's word isn't being proclaimed, then, then run. What, what are we doing? Let, let's, let's go pick a better hobby. But, but if God's word is being proclaimed, and we're in the fellowship, we're in the church, and we're, then, then your discipleship is primarily your role. Me growing spiritually, being a disciple. That's my responsibility. Don't mishear me say this. Don't mishear me. You are meant to be in community. You're meant to be in the church, to use your gifts. You're designed to grow as you get sharpened in community and small groups and sit under biblical teaching and exhortation and counsel and and all of those things. You are designed for those things, but it's a trap you will get disillusioned and stay illusion, disillusioned if you're expecting others to do in your heart what ultimately is a Jesus thing. Last thing I'll encourage you with about love is this. You will love him more the more you see him. You're going to love him more the more. So here's a challenge. Be in God's word regularly and observe who he reveals himself to be. Be in God's word regularly. See, who who does this God describe himself to be? Who is he? Sit with our God, meet with him regularly, and observe. God, this is truth. This is who you are. This is going to be the source for how I I connect and and be discipled. You want to be a disciple who loves Jesus? Take take ownership of that relationship. You've got to get to know him. You aren't going to grow in love if you don't get to know him. Open your Bible. Meet with him. Lean in. See who our God is. Don't only depend on other people's observations of your God. I really genuinely have yet to meet the person who isn't falling more in love with Jesus if they're spending regular time in God's word. Second and, and final for today, biblical truth of what it means to be a disciple. If the first is this real principle of, of love and a deep love and a real love based on, on commitment and all those things, then the second is, is John 15. To be a disciple, John 15. Jesus describes himself as the vine and his disciples as the branches from that vine. He says in verse 4 of John 15, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The context of John 15 is taking place the night Jesus was arrested. Right? He, just finished the, he just finished in the upper room, the Last Supper. He, he was most likely going out through the East Gate in Jerusalem, most likely very possibly going through vineyards. So this idea of vines and branches on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane would have been a very clear visual for these disciples. And, and remember, these disciples who loved Jesus, right? they, they were there. Those 11 were still with him. They loved him. That box in their heart was checked. They had the first part of that principle down. They, 
best they knew were all in, the best they could do up to that point were all in. They loved him. And so what does he tell these disciples who love him? What's his command for them to be disciples, to grow as being disciples? It's abide. It's abide. It's a Greek word. It can be translated remain. Right? This is a, a verb in the midst of this illustration that Jesus uses teaching us being a disciple is not a one-time occurrence, but it is an ongoing thing. Abiding is this daily remaining, moment-by-moment moment surrender to our King, to our Savior, whereby His Spirit is working through us. If your tendency is to hear the command abide, um, and, and, and you say, that's too abstract, too abstract, give me something really tangible, two things. One, calm down, don't yell at me. It's not my sermon. Jesus preached that, not me. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But also, um, look, look at what he says here. He admires this, right? He, he, he had this picture he paints for us. You can, you can picture this idea of a, of a vine and branches coming off of it and, and fruit coming out of those branches. He's saying, I will produce the fruit in your life by my power. And your job is not to prove yourself as a disciple by your power, but instead be a spirit-filled disciple by just staying connected to me, remaining in me. Being a disciple is about staying connected to Jesus. Loving him, but also staying connected to Jesus. When that happens, fruit emerges. When we are connected to Christ, fruit emerges. In Galatians 5, we see a description of what spiritual fruit looks like. Right? It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To be a spirit-filled disciple in a spirit-filled church, we should have fruit growing in our life. Right? No one should argue with that. Even Jesus says the world around us should know you are a disciple of me by the fruit in your life. And how amazing is it that an essential ingredient aspect of what being his disciple is, that fruit production, we cannot do in our own strength. I don't find that discouraging. I find that incredibly freeing. That it's not up to me to produce the spiritual fruit ultimately we're all called to, to walk in and, and, and produce in our life. John 15 actually promises us that we will not be able to create fruit apart from him. It's not going to happen. He gives us that promise. Not in our abilities, not our job to produce fruit. It's our job to abide. John 15, 7 through 8, Jesus continues. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does abiding look like for, for me? Just take this abstract thing and try my best to make it um, as, as practical as possible. It means being in God's word, right? But more than just studying it, it means submitting to it, right? My prayer life changes when I'm sitting and submitted to God's word, right? It becomes more of a conversation with God, my prayer life does, rather than just a reaction to things that I, I need and I need to respond for in my circumstances, throwing my wish list to him as I pass. It becomes a conversation because I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm sitting with him. I'm, I'm listening. I'm speaking. I'm reflecting. Even verse 7 here, ask whatever you 
will and wish and it will be done for you. Well, when I'm abiding in Christ, specifically meditating on his word, he changes my heart for what I wish for, right? I'm not asking to win the lottery because I'm, I'm sitting and I'm abiding and hopefully I'm connected to his heart. And so I'm not asking for, for that. I'm asking for God, would you use me? Right, would you use me? I'm not asking, God, remove all of the uncomfortable things. I, I'm seeing, wait, I, I see in your word that those things actually might produce good in my life. Those things actually can, can be a source of joy in my life. And so it changes how I pray. It changes how I interact. It changes the relationship when I'm connected and sitting and submitted to God's word. What does not abiding look like for me? I wish I could say, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but I can't. I'll talk to one of the other campus pastors. They probably don't know what abiding is. Um, I, this is a, a constant struggle in my life, right? Unfortunately, I very much know what not abiding looks like. This, this tug, I, I very much know what it feels like to just be running my life in my own strength and my own flesh, even doing ministry, doing things for Jesus without Jesus, right? I, 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 it's all of the opposites of the fruit of the Spirit is what comes up. It's a lack of patience. It's a lack of peace. It's a lack of joy because that's where those things come from. But when I'm abiding, it is that fruit. It is that fruit. The trap is this. Here, here's at least one of the traps. The trap is I want a formula, right? Those who, like, man, abiding is such an abstract thing. Give me the formula. Treating discipleship like a formula rather than faithfulness will trip us up. It trips me up. It trips my heart up all the time. A formula is I want, I want three steps to peace. I want, I want five application points that will produce joy. I'm in a bind. I'm feeling anxious. I don't really want to abide and sit in scripture, but I do want a verse that's going to make me feel good right now, right? Those are all this trap of I just push the vending machine and give me what I want. Um, maybe I'm lonely. Give me the community I need to, to feel better. I want to be a disciple, Give me a fast track or a, or a switch to flip. Discipleship is a life remaining connected to God. Then watch what happens. I want to tell you about a story of mine, a friend of mine named Thomas. I met Thomas a year and a half ago after a church service. Incredible young man. Uh, he came up to me. It was pretty clear he did not have a relationship uh, with Jesus. And at that time wasn't really looking for one. To Thomas, Christianity, uh, in his words, was um, at best an emotional crutch. At worst, maybe a cult. Um, but God was doing something in his life. Right? You see, he, he, he wasn't connected to the vine. And, and that would really ultimately be the source he needed to be connected to uh, for the things that he was really ultimately looking for. Things like peace, things like forgiveness, things like purpose and meaning. So he came looking for it, skeptical, but faithful, even though he didn't believe yet. Watch this story. You know, I started going to church solely for the community, but kind of realized that Community's fleeting, and it can leave at any point. But a relationship with God, man, that's that's eternal. So as a kid, I attended church. It was more of a social event, and I would never really take away any meaning from the sermons. And so I didn't really read the Bible at all, and I didn't really take my faith that seriously. When I left home and moved to Texas, I kind of abandoned my faith, and I made decisions on my own. But I remember one distinctive moment in Halloween where I looked around and I just truly felt no sense of community was around me to support me in any way when I was down. And I just really ended up not enjoying my life and I was losing purpose and I didn't really feel like my life had any real meaning. 
I remember feeling pretty hopeless until finally I was invited to Christ Chapel. I listened to the pastor speak and I decided, hey, I really need to go up there and talk to him. I wasn't sure that God's character was good or that God was even for me. He challenged me to start reading through John, just gather some insight about who God is because God explains who he is through his word. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I just thought, you know, if I really buy in, maybe I'll be able to get some friends out of this and build my community. But God wasn't really at the forefront at the time. I remember getting invited to Belize by Ben. And so I, I committed and I was kind of surprised I committed. It was my first real mission trip. The first night I remember having a conversation on the dock with a guy, it seemed like they all had something that I was lacking. And he was just asking me, he was straight up. He was like, what, what's really holding you back? You know, I don't really know. And so I asked him, man, what's the first step for me to establish a real relationship with God? And he told me plain and simple, it's getting in the word. I get back home from the trip and I really think to myself, man, I need more. And so I actually connect with two individuals, Spencer and Asher, who have been real pillars in my life. I just get to talk to them about things that are going on in my life. They always point me back to the word. I began noticing this pattern. I would present a problem or some sort of question about my life to my community or mentors. They would point me to the word and this would strengthen my relationship with Christ. And then I remembered, wow, this is kind of how it all started with Ben. I approached Ben, Ben pointed me to the word and I ended up actually benefiting a lot. Same for Belize. If I'm not all in, then what really is this for? I told myself, Thomas, it's, it's time to commit. I started noticing the purposelessness and the lack of meaning in my life had suddenly vanished. It's truly about you and your relationship with God. And that's my purpose. That's something different. That's eternal. I think B for me, it's always being connected to Christ. And even in stormy seasons, he's enough. This is all for a greater purpose and it's to lead you to him. Thomas's life change wasn't about this church, it wasn't about me, it wasn't about a mission trip, it wasn't about spiritual mentors, it was, it was about all of those things continuing to point him to his source, to his vine, to a personal relationship with Jesus in scripture. This past year, that guy dove into scripture. Right? He, he read the Gospel of John, he read most of the Gospels, he read most of the letters of Paul this last year. He's in the Old Testament now, reading through Old Testament. Right? He, he studied those things. If you want to be a spirit-filled disciple, whether you've got doubts and you're not even sure if you trust God's character or you've got the entire Bible memorized, you will only bear fruit if you stay connected. If you want to grow and keep growing, be in God's word regularly and submit to what it says. Submit to what it says. We're not just reading it as a textbook. Submit to what it says. Submitting is staying connected to Christ, saying you gotta do this through me. I submit to you. Would, you. would you help me to be obedient? Would you help me to do Submitting is the branch allowing the vine to work through it. The B in being a disciple is far less about achievement and far more about submission. Stay in God's word. Stay close to Jesus. Lean into him even when I doubt, even when it's hard, even when I don't feel like it. 
being a disciple. It's about loving him and staying connected to him. I want to end, um, I want to end in this way, really giving you the most uh, recent update on Thomas's story. His story is far from over. Uh, He would be the first one to admit he is far from perfect. He is far from spiritually arrived. That's not what this is about. Um, He's still going to have plenty of ups and downs, just like I will and we will as believers. But let me encourage your soul with an update from even this past week. Uh, Remember, a year and a half ago, uh, Thomas had all the doubts, plenty of hurts, plenty of bitterness. He didn't settle for just God's community or mission trips or mentors. He chased after his own personal relationship with Christ Jesus. He chased after it, and at some point last summer, he surrendered his life to Christ. He surrendered his life to Christ. Now, the sky didn't open, right? He didn't begin to levitate, right? He didn't get even all of his questions answered, as I still haven't. It's still a journey, but he connected to the vine. His heart's been transformed to trust this God who has always had a plan for Thomas. And then he just kept growing. Three days ago, he went back to Belize on a mission trip that a year ago, he wasn't even sure if he really liked God, even if he did believe in him, and standing in the ocean with one of his mentors and in front of a crowd of brothers who he has walked with and encouraged and been encouraged by, uh, he made this outward proclamation of this inward reality of his heart. He's connected to the vine by the grace of God. I want you to watch this clip. There's no audio to it, except for maybe the applause in these rooms to God and to God alone. Just a young man who went from death to life. Watch this. Our praise and our applause is to God who changes lives, who connects people to his vine and brings fruit and life change because we love him because he loved us first. It's about imperfect people who don't have the ability to do this on our own. It's about a God who says, stay connected to me and I will make you the disciple I've designed you to be. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the God that you are. Thank you for paving a way and allowing and commanding us to be your disciples, to walk with you, to love you. Thank you for the gospel that has made that possible. Thank you for your word that allows us to sit and know and connect with you, a personal God. Would you continue in all of our hearts this work that you've begun drawing us near to you all the days of our life? for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.